0: In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Kami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at aspirantcom podcasts to increase your money mojo. And
1: now... Here's Cammy and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Rebecca Walker joins us today on Money Tales. Rebecca has contributed to the global conversation about race, gender, power, and the evolution of the human family for three decades. In her most recent book, Women Talk Money, Rebecca created an anthology of 29 essays by different female writers to explore the profound impact of money on women's lives. The collection includes previously unpublished essays by trailblazing writers, activists, and models, such as Alice Walker, Tressie mcmillan Cottom, Rachel Cargill, Tracy McMillan, and more. Since graduating from Yale, Rebecca has authored and edited seven best-selling books on subjects ranging from intergenerational feminism and multiracial identity to black, cool, and ambivalent motherhood. She has also written, developed, and produced film and television projects with Warner Brothers, NBC Universal, Amazon, HBO, and Paramount. When Rebecca was 21, she co-founded the Third Wave Fund, which makes grants to women and transgender youth working for social justice.
2: Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key money tales conversation topics Rebecca hits on in this conversation. First, what it was like for her as her mother became a more and more successful writer. The family financial position went from very modest when Rebecca was young to a more and more middle class situation and then to upper class by the time Rebecca graduated college. Second, how everyone has a real estate story. Rebecca's involved love, and an impulsive sale. And third, how writing about money is different than talking about it out loud. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and please subscribe to money Tales. Now, onto our conversation with Rebecca Walker.
1: Hello, money Tales listeners. This is Cammie and I'm here with my co-host, Sandy.
2: Hey, Cammie, I wanted to share with you that I was at a dinner the other night for a nonprofit that I'm involved with. And the theme of the dinner was freedom. And there's a lot of conversation about freedom and social justice. And one of the speakers was the Consulate General of Ukraine in San Francisco, Dmitro Koshernik. And he spoke about what we could do to help support people in Ukraine one of the things that he asked for was money. That got me thinking about how woven money is into freedom and into justice. The Money Tales conversations we're having on this podcast are very personal. We're talking person to person. And I think those same skills can help us bubble up and have important civic money conversations. The same North Stars for personal money conversations, being clear on your values, having goals, having a vision for your future. All of that collectively plays into these civic money conversations. I think I was prompted to have those conversations with myself as I reflect on the dinner because of a book I read recently that our our guest today has put together and will talk with us about.
1: What a great segue, Sandy. Sandy. It's my pleasure to welcome our guest today, Rebecca Walker. It is wonderful to be talking with you on Money Tales. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you too, with all your lovely energy and brilliant minds. It's fantastic. Thank you for having me. Please introduce yourself and share two to three pivotal moments that really influenced you impacting the person you are today.
0: I'm Rebecca Walker, right, and I'm a writer and a cultural critic and a mom and a creator on many fronts. I am a deep thinker about how to use my particular talents to help evolve our social conversation about race and gender and power and so many other things. I'm a wife. I'm a human on the planet, and a few pivotal moments in my life. Since we're talking about money, I think one moment that was very significant for me was when I sold my first apartment. Well, when I bought my first apartment and then when I sold my first apartment. So (laughs) I was very young and I sold my first book and I got a lovely advance, things that no longer happen unless you've sold billions of books. But at that time, you actually could get a lovely advance. And I bought this apartment in a neighborhood that was slowly gentrifying with all of the complications that entails in Brooklyn. And I was so happy, you know, I felt like I was really using my money wisely and creating the foundation of my own personal net worth. And I loved the apartment and had these high ceilings and I had a study with all my books. It was just lovely. And then a couple of years in, I fell in love with a wonderful, brilliant, genius musician who lived in Los Angeles. And I decided to sell my apartment and moved to Los Angeles. And I think that in terms of my money story, that was a decision that I made based on deep emotion, this sort of love idea propelling me, and an idea of a kind of romantic love that would hold me and sustain me, and that somehow I lost sight of, the importance and the pragmatism that I had placed in the purchase of this apartment. So in following this very emotional sort of impulse, I sold my apartment. And even though I made a nice return on the apartment, I didn't then immediately reinvest what I made into another home. And it created a kind of instability for me and later a sense of both shame at having made this decision. Obviously, the relationship did not work out. And yet I had made this big decision. And I carried the kind of shame and confusion about having let go of this purchase, this intentional move toward my own financial freedom and following a, a bad idea. <laughs> and so realizing that over the last you know, 20 years of my life and seeing that apartment Now, I think I just saw it was sold for $2.5 or $3 million. (laughs) So everyone's got a real estate story, whether it's a rental story, a purchase story, a reno story. But I think both the purchase, which was so empowering for me, and the sale, which was so emotional and impulsive, were both very important moments in my life and have had to be unpacked over my life over the last 20 years. And those moments actually informed the creation of this book that we're talking about today. So we're getting right there because I realized that I was still holding this emotional charge of shame about having made this decision and regret. And that was keeping me from a real sense of self-worth or self-affirmation, a sense of, oh, I failed. So I had this place in my psyche where I've had all these other successes, but I failed here and it means that i'm not good with money or that i'm not sensible or that i i made this big error and i realized that i needed to be able to talk about this experience with other women who had gone through similar experiences not necessarily real estate narratives but stories that they were holding in their bodies and their minds and that were leading to a kind of feeling of guilt or shame or confusion or ambivalence that really kept them from actually making better decisions as they moved forward. And so, I decided to do this book, Women Talk Money, Breaking the Taboo, because I wanted to open up that space for women and ask them to look at a story, a pivotal moment in their lives in which their financial position informed or was at the heart of that moment and to unpack it for us and to show the reader how they've worked through and reflected
1: upon these pivotal important experiences.
0: That's two moments. I'm sure I could go on, but I'll stop there.
1: Two great moments. Rebecca, I think it's important what you highlighted and you used the word mistake, which I think is very judgmental because we all make decisions and then we all have hindsight. I'm curious if you could whisper into your ear of 20 years ago, what is the advice you'd give yourself? I am a person who, based on all of the work I've done with, I did tons of therapy,
0: but mostly I've spent years studying Buddhism. And so really trying to purify and and cleanse and, and release all of these ideas about mistakes and to have very few regrets because they keep you locked in the past. So from that perspective, I would whisper into my ear, you may have regret about this, (laughs) but I really understand why you're doing it. But see if there's another way that you could manage this situation so that you could have both as you explore this new relationship. See if you can more successfully negotiate keeping the space And doing the move. I don't think I I took the time to explore my options. Was it about petitioning the co-op board so that I could have a longer period of being able to rent the apartment out? Was it about having a real conversation about money with this new lover and figuring out what she could bring to the financial decision that I was making really on our behalf? To really be more open to being transparent about what was going on and bring others to bear on the decision so that it wasn't just mine alone.
2: Rebecca, can you give us a little bit of the backstory of your life? What was it like growing up? What was happening from a money perspective in the early years of your life?
0: My parents are divorced and they have very different approaches to money. So when I was growing up, I went through many different money experiences. So when I was quite young my father was a civil rights lawyer working for the legal defense fund doing important work in civil rights in the south and my mother was an aspiring author they were first generation college educated my mother came from a very poor family in the rural south that were basically sharecroppers my father's mother was a bookkeeper first generation born in this country her mother immigrated from Russia at the turn of the century. Ukraine, actually. And she helped her father at his newsstand. He was blind. And the government gave blind people newsstands. And of course, he couldn't count the money. And so her stories about sitting as a very young child counting the money that people would throw into the box to get the paper really impacted me listening to those stories. Anyway, and then she became a bookkeeper who worked many jobs to put all three of her children through both college and graduate school as a single mom. And so both of my parents and my mother's family also worked as a community to make sure that she could go to college and change her life. And so I had these two models, which combined to create a household in which I think my parents were both very aware of the importance of being careful with money, of not taking things for granted, of both being pragmatic in terms of buying a house and buying cars that were safe and would last and focusing on education and good food and health and all those things but they were also very conscious of giving back to their communities and and of bringing their money making sure it transcended our family unit once they started to get more of it and which they did my father moved into corporate law in addition to his civil rights practice and my mother became more and more successful as a writer which meant that our position financially went from a kind of very modest to more and more middle class and then upper class and then really, as we look at the real picture of our country and the world, into, I would say, you know, the top at least 10%. And so my experience was very varied. I went to Yale, a very privileged institution, and my parents were able to pay the tuition. And I went to a private school. But you know, before that, I went to a very large (laughs) public school. And that was good in some ways and not good in other ways. And so my experience was very varied. And I'm really happy about that because I got to see and live. And so now can empathize and connect with people from many different socioeconomic backgrounds, because I've been really in so many.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating to see that progression during your lifetime and it all happening when you were a young person.
0: Yes. From the time I was five to the time I was, you know, graduated from college, the change was very dramatic, you know, And again, my parents had very different views about how to deal with money. So my father's much more in the stock market. He's much more, he's will he has more risk. He's like that. My mother is very much about real estate. She's very much, I think, from her background, coming from a sharecropping family where they couldn't own their own land, where they were displaced a lot. She's got a very strong sense of that's where you invest your money, where you can sleep at night. My father... (laughs) he's more mathematical and he likes to peruse the other space that to him, it doesn't feel as risky as it does to her. And maybe that comes from his bookkeeping background of my grandmother who measured out and thought about daily returns. Yes, exactly. Daily returns. Exactly. So I think I have a combination of both. I've inherited both of those philosophies and as a parent, have really made a lot of decisions to make sure that my son is aware of of both of those trajectories and hopefully will be competent within both. He's 17 and I've really encouraged my father to mentor him in the world of the market and sort of more traditional investing in that way. and And I take him through various details of home purchasing and talking about rental versus renting versus buying and do you know when it's better when it's I mean I've been very engaged in these conversations with him as a parent and I I think it's it's so important not to hide things from one's child because they they learn from what you're doing and I'd rather him understand what's happening
2: underneath than just glean from the stuff he gets (laughs) you know. That's really important because if you're not talking about it, children often make assumptions on their own. And that leads me to wonder, Rebecca, when did you start becoming comfortable yourself talking about money? I became much more
0: comfortable in 2008, which is when I started thinking about doing this book. And it was in the middle of the Great Recession, and it seemed that everyone I knew was having financial struggles. And because we were all struggling and trying to figure out how to manage what was happening to us, it was as if a veil had been lifted. And because it was what we were thinking about all the time, we just started talking about it. (laughs) There was no reason anymore to hide or secret or we were all pretty much in the same boat. Everyone was in a different position. Some people were dealing with being a tenure-track professor and how that was going to be. Some people were trying to hold on to their rental and being displaced. Some people were falling behind in their mortgage. Some people I mean, there were so many different iterations, but we were all fundamentally feeling this anxiety, which led us to really start many conversations with, oh, my God, what am I going to do about X financial problem? And the more we had these conversations, and I started to become fascinated with them, like I wanted more and more of the stories. And so the more I kind of initiated them and opened the space for them, the more comfortable I became because I felt that we were building stronger bonds between us through the conversations and thus a stronger community as a whole. And so I could see the return on the investment of having the conversations, right? I could see it. I could
1: feel it. Rebecca, Sandy, and I are smiling because this is really aligned with these conversations we're having every week on Money Tales.
0: Yes, good. So that's when I became more comfortable. And it was a decision that I made. I really decided to be very intentional about disclosing things about my financial situation, asking questions of my friends and colleagues about theirs, talking about the safe space that we were creating, that I was not wanting to talk to them in any way to undermine or to judge, but really just to share so that we could feel more supported in this space that is so often in the dark. And so, yes, that decision, I think, has really shaped my approach to this discussion and maintain it. And I can feel my friends and the people that I talk to themselves feeling more and more comfortable. I'm able now to help strategize different things. I was just talking to one of my dear friends about her publishing deal, for instance, and it's been a three-week process. And and I kind of pushed her, you know, I need the numbers. I need the numbers. I need to understand the scan, the book scan numbers. I need to understand everything about everything so that I can actually give you feedback. And in our world of publishing, it's very rare that people talk about their advances and I could see that she was nervous about it. <laughs> and I just kept saying, you know, listen, I can really help you. I know what I've made. I know what 20 other writers are making. I, I understand publishing. I've been a student of publishing since I was 21. I sold my first book. Use me as a resource. Don't worry. I hope you get a million dollars for your book. I hope, you know, and if you get 10,000, I support you. You know, it's, you don't have to be afraid that I will be judgmental, jealous, undermining. You can always rely on me to value you and push and support you in really insisting that you be paid
1: fairly. Advocating.
2: Yes, for yourself. Yeah. And you're creating this safe space, disarming all the concerns that we've been conditioned to be concerned about when we're talking about money. Yes. So that was lovely.
1: Rebecca, as you were building Women Talk Money, which is a collection of stories from different women, what surprised you as these women wrote their stories, which is very public? They're putting their information out to be possibly judged. What surprised you through the process?
0: I've done five collections. I'm not sure why I keep doing collections. Well, I am. I really enjoy bringing people together in this way. I think the anthology form is great for building community and it's a revolutionary form that's been used in many social change movements. So anyway, I do love the form, but, but I end up working very hard. And then at the end of each of them, I think I'm never doing this again. And then I do it again. (laughs) I've done several of these and obviously The hardest part is working with the writer to find the story and to support them as they excavate very private experiences and reflections. You know, so I did a book on toxic masculinity and and really interviewed 200 men and had men talk about how they learned to, quote unquote, be a man. And so many of those stories were brutal to hear and terrifying for them to write about. I did one on new family configurations, people writing about the different choices they would made in making family, including being polyamorous and being a single parent or having a family member who was incarcerated. So in every collection, it's very challenging. This book surprised me. I mean, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was very surprised by how hard it was for the writers to write about money, to think about money, to be willing to really be honest about their experiences. There are 29 pieces in the book. I think I had picked about 40 writers initially, and many of them, obviously at least 10, (laughs) dropped out because they couldn't bear to look at how money had shaped their lives and was in some ways entrapping them and creating Difficulty because they couldn't see themselves getting out of the knot. They couldn't see themselves getting there. So that surprised me that I had to work so hard. It's always the process of working hard with writers, but this was like unbelievable. I was also surprised by the variety of stories and how fascinating. They all are. When I approached Adrienne Marie Brown, for instance, I knew she would have a great money story. I did not expect her to write Composting Capitalism, which is about her decision not to pay her taxes as an act of political resistance and her experience of the fallout of that. I didn't expect Nina Revore to write a piece about how she could no longer breathe in her neighborhood that she loved so much because of environmental racism and and the pollution that she was living in the midst of and and how she felt so fortunate that she had the finances to move, that she had enough money to move and, and that that radicalized her to become an advocate for clean air for everyone. One of my favorite pieces by Latham Thomas, who's a wonderful visionary in the doula space (laughs) about something that many black women feel in the world, which is that people don't expect us to have money. And if we do, we are thought to have gotten it illegitimately. And so her first memory of dealing with money was seeing her mother, who was a real estate agent, go into a bank to try to cash her commission check. And the teller did not believe that she had earned this $36,000 or whatever it was, honestly, and called the police. And her mother was then cuffed and escorted out of this bank on the presumption that she had not earned this money. And so Latham's experience of money then as a Black woman is that you can be punished for having it. And so she had to really work through that sort of psychic wound and to this day doesn't feel comfortable going into banks. And so to reflect on what that means in terms of black women's financial security, if we don't even feel safe moving into, walking into these financial institutions, how does that affect our financial standing? And on and on, you know, I mean, another one of my favorite pieces is by uh, Leah Hunt Hendricks, who's the daughter of, of Helen Hunt, who's one of the wealthiest women in America. And she decided that she was going to use her money and the access to money that she had to fund organizations like Black Lives Matter and Occupy Wall Street. And she was going to intentionally use the resources that she had access to to transform the world in a very specific way. I'm not sure that I expected, and I remember being surprised, at the way her her mother had dealt with money with her, which was not withholding necessarily, but I think her mother wanted her to have the values of, she didn't want her to to grow up with this sort of privilege. So, she raised her, not with a sense of lack, but almost. (laughs) I was surprised by that. So, each story surprised me and the variety. And I started to feel like, God, you know, this could go on forever. We could have a thousand books like this.
2: We should. Yes, we should. I'm so glad you're highlighting these stories because each one has such heaviness to it. I found when I was reading them that I had to really stop and contemplate each story before I could think about moving on to the next. They're all individual gifts. And I'm wondering, Rebecca, what do you think the difference is in talking about money in an oral conversation? and talking about money in a written form
0: once you commit your your story to paper or to the computer you know whatever however we're going to describe that at this point and you know it's going to be published the burden on the writer is to make sure that you have done the necessary amount of deep reflection and that you can take the reader through your experience and come out at the other end when they put the piece down with some wisdom to impart. So when you write a story or you write any piece, you know, I teach writing, I write scripts, I write a lot of different things, but especially a personal story, a personal essay, a memoir, you must get somewhere. You must evolve. You must change and show that change in the writing So that you have something to give and offer the reader so that their time, you're treating their time as very valuable and and knowing that you want to give them something. So there's that. And then also you realize, especially in this moment of, of such high scrutiny, that you are taking a risk in putting your story out there. You're putting it out there for people to judge, for people to circulate, and that takes a kind of courage whereas in oral conversations you know they're usually there's not that level of this is going to be with me forever <laughs> it's not usually as as public and you don't have to necessarily structure the conversation in the same way now you all are working as financial planners and wealth management consultants and so you are attempting to put people's money stories into a narrative that makes sense. I'm sure you're having conversations that are doing that. But I think in in a more colloquial way, there's more give and take. There's less pressure. There's a, a way that you can flow and ponder different approaches. You know, it's just more fluid
1: when it's oral as opposed to being written. That was the word I was just thinking of. And thanks for bringing up the conversations we're having with our clients. It ultimately gets documented in some of the decisions, but it's not put out into the public. But it's important to them. It's their story that they're writing with us that's helping them achieve that goal. And it's really powerful.
0: Yeah. So in some ways, you're doing the same thing that I'm doing in this book. I
1: mean, you're really... Excavating. I loved your word, excavating.
0: Yeah excavating their histories, figuring out where they want to be at the end of their journey with you or at the next stage of their journey with you and helping them to articulate a coherent narrative that is in alignment with both their aspirations, you know, their psycho-spiritual, social, civic, as you talked about, Sandy, aspirations, and also their very concrete financial goals. And so I think... That must take a kind of midwifing, you know, (laughs) that's very similar to working with these writers. So, yeah.
2: Well, thank you for sharing your process with us. And thank you and the authors that you aggregated for this collection for being so real and honest in their storytelling. It's really a powerful book. And I hope all of our listeners will go out and read it as soon as they can.
0: Thank you. I hope they do, too. And I hope it... Supports them in telling their stories. There's at least a little micro money story happening every day where we're having to figure out what we're going to spend this, what is important to us. I'm thinking about my son right now and what he's going to do this summer and what I want for him, what he wants for himself. How does that coincide or work with money? (laughs) You know, what is that communicating to him about? What money is for? How is that working within my budget and my philosophy about his education and what it takes to prepare him for the world? You know, and that in itself is sort of like my story of today, in addition to talking with you and being in alignment with my purpose of supporting more of these conversations. So I really hope the book helps people to be conscious of the way in which they're writing mini micro money stories every day, every moment, and how those relate to the larger money stories they're holding from childhood, from different experiences they've had, so that they can have a more integrated conscious view and feel more empowered to make decisions that they will feel fundamentally good about tomorrow and next week, and next month, and next year, and next generation. And as Native Americans have so brilliantly shared with us, seven generations from now.
2: Hallelujah.
0: Yes, amen. (laughs) A woman, a people, a human.
1: (laughs) Yes, definitely. Rebecca, would you tell us what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with?
0: I just an hour ago, before my son went to school, had a conversation about the solar panels that we just put on to our house. And I was breaking down the cost of the solar panels and the system and talking about how the investment, if you're just looking at dollars and cents, as I think in our culture we have for so long, you would kind of scratch your head. But when we integrate, the benefit for the environment and the model that we're trying to set, there's a dollar amount on that or a a value to that, that is immeasurable. And it's about thinking about now and the future. And it's about looking at those panels and feeling good, you know, how that is restorative for our psychic and, and emotional health to know that we are doing something that is restorative And that was, you know, a funny conversation for us to have in the 10 minutes that we had before he walked out the door to school. And I think that was today. I think my next money story, I'm not sure what's going to come up today, but I'm sure something will.
1: (laughs) (laughs) As you say, it weaves its way through everything we talk about. And Rebecca, thank you for joining us on Money Tales, sharing so much of yourself, especially the writing of Women Talk Money. It really is an important collection of stories as you talk about. It recounts the power of money to impact health, define relationships, and shape identity. And you brought that to life today. Thank you.
0: Thank you. This was lovely. Great questions. Such good listeners. I can tell that listening is a deep part of your practice in your work. That feels good.
1: So, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to Asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at Asperient.com. See you next time.